Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Please read along with me behind, behind me on the screen or on your devices or in your Bibles. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we live in a world where it seems that instability is growing. Uh, we live in a world where of terrible terrorist attacks in Israel, a, a resulting war. There's war in Europe. I heard it uh, framed this past week the, the, is the largest war in Europe since World War II. Uh, we live in a, in, in a day where powers around the world uh, are emboldened to to move and to do things in the way they haven't been before. We live in a, a moment of, with new levels of economic uncertainty. We live in a moment of a breakdown in the political system here in the U.S. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody given up on the political system answering all our problems? Anybody given up on a better economy answering all our problems? Anybody given up on, maybe even for yourself, a, a better bank account answering your problems? And, and of all things in the world, the one thing that shouldn't surprise us is that this world is unstable. Of all things in this world, this world, including, including our nation and our economy, as mighty as they are, this world is not only shaky, it is destined to topple and to fall. That is Jesus' message to us. And what he says is that God and his kingdom alone are what is unshakable. This world, as strong and as powerful as the things of this world seem to be, this world is shaky and is destined to topple, and the only thing that is unshakable is the kingdom of God. The, the writer of Hebrews said it like this in Hebrews 12. At, th at that time, he's talking about when God's voice spoke from Mount Sinai whenever he gave the law, when he gave the Ten Commandments. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, he says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom 
that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The truth is, there is no lasting kingdom here. There's no lasting security here. No matter how much we want to cordon ourselves off in our safe homes and our safe neighborhoods with our money as safe as it may possibly be and keep our kids and family as safe as they can possibly be, this, there is no security here. But for the believer, that is good news. Because what he says in that passage is that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is what the believer has received and is receiving, a kingdom that, ha- that cannot be shaken in a world that is shaky and ready to topple. And what Jesus is talking about, this is the time, what Jesus is talking about in this passage where that Carolyn read for us about the, the vine and the branches, what he's talking about is what it looks like for us to be a part of an unshakable kingdom. While living in the kingdom that is shaky and passing away. He tells them, this is what he's telling them, he's telling them this is what it likes to be so deeply tethered to that which cannot be moved that then you can turn around and actually bear fruit amidst the kingdom that is shaky. This is what it looks like, he's saying, to receive life and sustenance amidst instability, strife, and everything that is shaky. See, that's the secret of the Christian. So Jesus has been talking about this whole passage as he's been having this discourse with his disciples before he's getting ready to die. He's been telling them this, the secret of my kingdom is that you are going to receive a secret, hidden power and strength and sustenance that will keep you and hold you even if everything around you is shaky and falling. You're receiving a kingdom that is so strong and so lasting and so immovable. This is what the believer receives in Christ, that even in your tears, you will find security. You'll find that my kingdom does not shake. And he says, this is what it looks like to live, to lead a life that really counts. To live a life that isn't just being thrown away like so much that we're surrounded by. If this, in fact, for, for the believer who can see this, that the kingdom around us is shaking and ready to topple, and our kingdom that we are receiving and have received in Christ is unshakable and immovable and eternal, if you were to looking at those two kingdoms, if you were to stand back sort of like a, a financial advisor and say, which of these businesses should I invest in? The one that looks like it's going to return maybe short-term gains today or tomorrow, but I am assured that at some point, nobody knows when, the whole thing is going down. This whole world is Enron. But he says, this kingdom, my kingdom, counts eternally and will never be shaken. Don't you want to live your life investing into that which is unshakable and immovable? Do you want to expend all of your energy and effort into that which is wasting away? 
That's what the passage that he's talking about here is about. Don't you long, don't you long to live your life in a way that counts? Isn't that what you, your deepest heart desire is for? To know that your daily life, like Grace mentioned, your daily life, your in and out, your day in, day out, mundane life, as you are working and going to school and running errands and traveling, don't you wish that your daily life was counting for something? In your entertainment and your scrolling on social media or you're trying to live the American dream, don't you what you really want inside, whether you're numbing yourself with Netflix and whatever other substance or issue that you can find yourself with, you're getting distracted by politics or culture or this entry or, or this trend or this or that, whatever the hot thing is right now, don't you want to live your life for something that actually counts forever? That isn't just being thrown away. We join Jesus as he's leading his disciples on this. We can picture him. They've left the upper room, we believe, at this, at this point. And he's probably walking them through Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. In just a little while, he's going to be betrayed and arrested. Betrayed by one of his closest friends. Arrested by authorities that are going to wrongfully accuse him. And he knows that he's going to his death. And as he's walking with his disciples, he uses this illustration of the, the vine and the branches. He, he uses this illustration to give a picture of what things are going to be like after his death and resurrection. He, he's saying that this is what my people are supposed to be like. What does Jesus picture happening with his people after he dies and rises again? What does he picture us? Because we're a part of that people. If you're a believer in Christ today, what does he picture our life looking like? What does he picture your life looking like? He makes this amazing statement at the beginning of verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Now we hear that, and if you've heard this illustration before, this, this uh, picture of his, that you know that he's going to talk about him in the vine, and we're the branches, and we're supposed to abide in him. It's one of the more, more famous passages in all of Scripture. But at these, when the Jewish people around him would have heard this, they would have heard something very specific, because the Old Testament prophets, a number of them, used the picture of the vine as the picture of Israel. Israel was the vine that, that uh, one prophet said was, was taken out of Egypt, like it was like transplanted out of Egypt, and he planted it into the promised land with the purpose that this vine would, would grow and would bear fruit and, and su- in such a way that as he told Abraham that you're, it would bless the nations around them. The nations around would look at Israel. They would see their love for God and their obedience to him and the kind of life that that led them to lead, and they would say, wow, that God must be real and that so that then what would should even have happened is that Israel should have sent people to the nations around saying you've got to meet our God 
Our God is amazing. He is the one true God who created heaven and earth and he has decided, ordained that he would have a relationship with us and he has made a way through this sacrifice. Even though we are sinful, he's made a way for us to come into a relationship with him and that op is open for you even though we're his chosen people. It's open for you to come in and they never got around to doing that because they were too consumed with trying to run after the idols, the false gods of the nations around them. And so actually when the prophets would talk about Israel being a vine, almost, in fact, every single time they talk about Israel being the vine, it has to do with the fact that they have turned away from God. They're a fruitless vine. They're not bearing fruit for him. They're not doing what he grafted them, transplanted them out of Egypt into their land to do. They failed. Never being a blessing to the nations. But even there, in these this prophecies, these prophecies to Israel saying, you're a faithless vine. There's still a new covenant promise that he makes them. You're, you're faithless. You, Ezekiel said there's nothing good for a fruitless vine except to be used as firewood. And it can't even be used as timber. You can't build anything out of a grapevine. The only thing useful for it to do is cut it down and hopefully you can boil some water with it. But God makes this promise. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he says this, he says, I will give you, oh, you're, you're straying away from me. You don't care. You're, you're worshiping all these false idols. Like he would be saying to you and me probably here, maybe you here today, you're so invested in this world, this surrounding world system that's shaky and it's going to topple and it's going to fall when my kingdom is the unshakable, everlasting, eternal kingdom. Where are you going to invest your time and energy? You put time and energy over and over and over again into this. And yet he says this, I will give you. This is the new covenant promise. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. We've been talking about the helper, the Holy Spirit recently. I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. This is what Jesus, the true vine, was doing. He, was, he came, he said, I'm the true vine, and I will be the faithful one where Israel was faithless. I, when Israel and all of us, when you and I were unfaithful, I will come and I will be faithful. I will come and I will fulfill the law. I will come on and I will take your curse upon the tree. And then I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He was making, enacting the new covenant people of God, where he would give us a new heart, where he would pour his love within us, and where he himself, by his spirit indwelling us, would cause us to be able to obey him. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I am creating here and now, vine, the true vine, 
I'm creating you to dwell and abide and live within me so that what I'm doing is I'm creating a blessed or a blessed community where God dwells in and among his people, his new covenant people. I will give you my name. I will put my spirit within you. You will live and exhibit my new kingdom under my good rule and reign. Love and joy and peace will abound in your hearts and in your midst. And you will, you will fulfill what Israel never fulfilled. You will expand and move ever outward. You will go out and you will bring more lost, those who are lost and hurting and sinful and rebellious. You will go out and you will bring them in. You will bring blessing to the nations. That's what Christianity is. That's what the church is. It's those who have been blessed by Christ placed into himself, placed into the vine, and then because of that, given his spirit and life in order to be a blessing to those around us. In other words, he has a mission for us. He has a mission for you. Us, his new covenant, spirit-filled people dwelling within the true, the true vine in the middle of the very shakable kingdom around us. He gives us a mission. And what we see as a result of that is we see the necessity that we have, if you are a believer in Christ, the necessity of bearing fruit. Did you hear that in the passage? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, the father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's an expectation here that if we are truly believers in Christ, and we are truly have been placed in the true vine, and we are no longer a member of the outward kingdom that is toppling and is failing and is falling away, if we are no longer a part of the shakable kingdom and are part, made a part of the unshakable kingdom by being placed in the vine, then there's an expectation of fruitfulness on our part. In fact, not just a, an expectation that you and I will be fruitful, but a strong expectation, in fact, a requirement of fruitfulness. See, those who belong to Jesus Here's what I know about you. If you truly belong to Christ, you might have all kinds of longings and desires. But their deepest, strongest longing and desire is to have a fruitful life that glorifies the Father. You might have many desires, but your deepest, most core desire is that you will live a life that's fruitful, that honors the Father. Now you might be here and say, well, I don't know that that's my deepest desire. I mean, I, I want to be a good person. I want to give God what's due to him, but man, I, I've got a lot of goals in life. I've got a lot of things I want to achieve. It takes a lot of my time and energy to Fulfill the things that I want to do with my life. That's not my deepest desire. I just want to say, either the cares of this world, the cares of the, that dark, toppling, shakable kingdom 
are so choking out the life of Christ in you that you aren't even aware of it anymore, or maybe you actually aren't a believer. Maybe you're not placed in the vine. Because those that belong to Jesus long to have fruitful lives, lives that showcase the presence of the Spirit of God within us and among us. That's what I'm talking about when I say a fruitful life. Like, it's not just saying, hey, I want to, God is telling you, Jesus says, I want you to be a better person. He's saying you should be living a fruitful life because what is true about a, a tree or a vine that you walk by that is fruitful? What is apparent when you walk past? Is it like, oh, look at that, uh, look at those, look at that good bark on that tree. Look at those good, healthy leaves on that grapevine. Now, if it's fruitful, what stands out? The fruit. And he says that we should live fruitful lives, lives that are exhibiting the kind of nature and character and cares and actions and, and, and character that showcases the nature and character of God. That we look like an alien people in the middle of that dark, crumbling, toppling, shaky kingdom around us that we look like an embassy an outpost members citizens of another kingdom we might dwell here we might be walking around and then we might live in this economy we might live in this nation we might be americans or whatever the else our our identity might be here but yet our true deepest identity is i'm a citizen of another kingdom i'm a child of another father i have a different kind of dna a different kind of life pulsing within me that causes me to live a different kind of life. And to such an extent that that glorifies the Father. Because no one can claim that is our fruit that we produce, that it had to have come from the source, God himself. Lives that are fruitful and they glorify the Father. That's our deepest desire. Lives that take the mission that Jesus began to showcase the kingdom of God, to show this is what it's like. This is what God is like. That's what Jesus showed us, right? He showed us what God the Father is like. And we as believers should be showing the people around us, this is what God is like. Not perfectly like Jesus. Full of repentance. Full of failings. Because you know what? Even there in our failings and our repentance, you know who it glorifies? Not me, but Christ. My neighbors, my family, my friends, the people who know me best, who know my warts, who know my deepest problems, that know my deepest, darkest tendencies, they see me repenting. They say, what even brought that repentance about? It's not just that Randy's a good guy. It's that Randy's a guy who's been captured by the love of Christ. And he's determined even though he fails over and over again, even though he not just fails, but decides to go the wrong way over and over again, he's determined because a life has entered him by the power of the Spirit that is directing him and guiding him and empowering him to even lay down his, his sinful desires and to repent whenever he's done wrong. To showcase the kingdom of God and to win. That this is the, what it means to, to fulfill the mission that Jesus began. To, to win the lost sons and daughters of God back home to the Father. 
That's what the church is called to do. That's how we bear fruit and glorify God. We showcase the nature and character of, of God in our lives, in our community, a community of love and humility and joy. Of joy, of joy. You know why it's joy? Because we are not people who are investing in what is passing away. We are investing in what is eternal, and we are convinced by the Word of God and the Spirit of God dwelling inside us in our midst that that kingdom is unshakable, and we have received it and are receiving it in Christ. And it is sure and real, and nothing can take that away from us because nothing can take us out of God's hand. Neither life nor death, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's why the believer and the believing community has joy. Even whenever I'm going through a difficult time and I can't seem to find the joy, I live in a joyful community that continually points me back, not in a trite way, but points me back to what is real and eternal and grants me joy in the midst of sorrow and pain and tears. If you're a Christian, you are placed in the vine in order, Jesus says, to bear fruit, and not just bear fruit, but to bear much fruit. I think we have, I can't speak for everybody. I, I just say the circles that I've run in for a while as a Christian, I think we have tolerated and accepted in ourselves and in each other little fruit or no fruit. I think we have tolerated and accepted lives of little fruit or no fruit when what Jesus says is, I have saved you in order that you would bear much fruit. Is this your current testimony? Are you bearing much fruit? I don't mean this to sound crass. You could take this the wrong way, but... Is the Father, what kind of return is the Father getting from you? That's crass. I don't, I don't mean it to sound as economic as it sounds, but what kind of return is he getting on you? Are you abiding in Jesus? Is he abiding in you? If you are, then you will bear fruit and you will bear much fruit. But what, is, what does it mean? We already touched on it. What does it mean when Jesus says you will, you'll, you'll bear fruit? It means that we live the full new covenant life that Christ died to win for us. It means the fruit of the Spirit is apparent in our lives. Love and joy and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what's, you know what all those fruit have to do, have to do? Like, you, know, you know what they actually, you know where they're played out? They're played out in relationship with other people. I can be very patient whenever it's just me. I, I can be very gentle whenever it's just me. But when my kids, my wife, my neighbors, my enemies, my co-workers, those who don't believe like I do in the church, those who don't believe like I do out the church, when those are grading me, do I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? That is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my, of my life, not the fruit of my character. It's the fruit of the nature and character of God being evident in my life. 
It's the fruit of saved souls. The contrast that Jesus is painting here is not between whether we do something or not do something. It's not whether we abide or we don't abide. The contrast that he's painting is, are we bearing fruit that glorifies God or are we not bearing fruit that glorifies God? And what he says is that the Father takes our fruitfulness very seriously. Did you hear how he pictured the, the word there for vine dresser means farmer, but we don't picture a farmer as one who, who takes care of the, the grapevines, a vine dresser. What does he picture the, the farmer, the vine dresser doing? The, the, the vine dresser comes along and he says, hey, this, this branch isn't bearing fruit. It's, it's connected to the vine. It's sitting here, but it's not, there's no leaves. Maybe there are leaves. It's just growing. It's not bearing any fruit. Let's lot this thing off and let's take it away. And then those branches that actually are bearing fruit, he says, I'm going to prune them. You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that we should have a godly ambition with our lives. We should have a godly ambition to bear fruit and to bear much fruit for the Father, that he would be glorified. What is your great ambition in life? I want the real answer, not the right answer. I just want to glorify Jesus. What does your life reflect that? Are you bearing fruit and much fruit? Is the things that truly drive you when you wake up, not on Sunday morning, but when you wake up on Monday morning and Wednesday morning and Friday morning, when you're going to bed at night, is what drives you? What is what keeps you up at night? Is it, oh, if I achieve this achievement, if I make this financial mark, if I can just do this, if I can get that degree, if I can finally get my kids together, if I can finally get my house clean, if I can make my life look like that person does on Instagram, then I know that's, that's what truly drives your waking and your sleeping. But what Jesus says here is that the greatest, deepest ambition of our lives should be that we bear fruit and bear much fruit so that it glorifies the Father. For some of us, this is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call because the Father takes our, bar- our living lives that bear fruit seriously, and when we, ha- when we look at our lives, where do we find the fruit? Where we find our ambition. Did you hear him talk about the stakes of what it means to, to, to not bear fruit? Do you know the sole purpose of a grapevine is to bear fruit? It's to bear grapes. They're not good for much else. They don't look particularly beautiful, particularly when they're being pruned correctly in order to bear fruit. They're kind of ugly looking. They could be eyesores. But he's pruned them down and they're just kind of stubs. You can't build a house out of them. They're not ornamental. It's grown for a function. And the function is to produce a harvest. What, what happens if we don't bear fruit? 
If we don't bear fruit, you know what he's saying here? If, if we bear fruit so that the Father will be glorified, what happens if we don't bear fruit? The Father doesn't receive the glory that he's due. It's a worship issue. Because, because in case you haven't noticed, Jesus himself is not walking around on earth anymore showing what the God looks like. Well, he is. But not in his human body. He is through the body. He is through the body of Christ. And if we, his body, his people, are not living lives that bear fruit and glorify the Father, he's not going to receive the glory that he's due. And, and he's placed you, he's planted you as a part of the vine or placed you as a branch in the vine. He's planted you as a branch in the vine in the particular place that, he, that you live right now. In the family, in the house, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, with your particular gifts and abilities, with your particular background, with your particular personality makeup. He's placed you in all those intricate ways that we can't understand at just the right moment, at just the right place, so that you would bear fruit there and the Father would receive glory there. See, there are people, like we hear the stories, we're going to hear stories when, when Dale and Grant get back of the, how the people are sacrificing and living for Christ and bearing fruit in Nepal. And we take great glory for that and we praise God for that. They're bearing fruit there, but what about your neighborhood? What about your family? Is he going to receive the glory he's due, that is due to him there? And he says that if we do not bear fruit, the father, the vine dresser, the farmer comes and he clears away. That's the, the word there. Of, he clears or cleans away those who are not bearing fruit. And what would, be, what would that look like, Randy? Like, are you trying to scare me? Like if I'm a Christian and I'm not bearing fruit, I, I should be afraid. I'm not, I'm not saved. I'm going to lose my salvation because I'm not bearing fruit. I used to bear fruit a few years ago. Now I look at my life. I don't think I'm bearing much fruit. I'm just living to kind of get the job or get through the day or make money or just get the kids down and have a few minutes to myself. Like whatever the thing is, my great ambition and my day-to-day -day life is right now. Like, are you trying to scare me because I don't think I'm bearing fruit? Here's what the picture should be. The picture should be Judas who's just left the room that Jesus just left, having been with him for three years, having been almost unidentifiably, unidentifiably different than any of their apostles, then leaving and turning away from Christ for a few pieces of silver. See, it's possible to be among for a long time, but, need, but not be of. It's impossible to be by the vine, near branches, but not be of the vine. And, and if you do, then it's, it may not be identifiable to the people around you, but it's, it's never quite a fit. I imagine with Judas, it was, man, 
it was never quite a fit. Jesus wasn't probably leading exactly like he thought he should lead. He had an agenda with Christ, probably, and not following Christ's agenda for him. It, just as it's true for believers to be in this world but not of this world, it's true that some of the world are in the church but not of the church. They're in the church, but they're not in Christ. They're not in Christ, and he's not in them. Therefore, the, the things about Christ don't, don't thrill their soul. They, they hear about his love, but they don't really love him in return. They, they don't really understand when, when people praise him. Their hearts aren't turned to worship when they think about God. We're told in 2 Corinthians to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? This is of critical importance to you. Are you in Christ, and is he in you? How how terrible would it be to live near the ocean, but yet to never see it? Or to drive past the Grand Canyon, but never stop to look at the vast, amazing expanse? How much worse is it to dwell among God's people? To hear their praise. To listen to the word of God. And never to have known him yourself. That's you. Do you hear the call of Jesus Christ, the true vine, saying, abide in me. Come to me, I took the curse for you, I've taken your sin for you, I've taken on death for you. I'm calling out to you, don't invest. Don't invest in that which is toppling and shaking and fading away. Come to me, the one and only true vine. Well, there's only one way in. There's only one way in. It's to forsake everything except me. Forsake all that you have, all your ambitions, all your goals, all your longings in life and say, oh, you alone I will serve. To give up any self saving that you try to do, anything that you try to do to make yourself okay or make yourself a better person or be okay in the end, give it up and come to me as the only one who can give you a new heart and place my spirit within you. Oh, don't wait. Don't wait. One more moment. Why would you wait by the vine without being grafted in the vine? Here his invitation to you, and his invitation comes without qualification, without any asking you to clean yourself up, any, any, any condition upon yourself. He says, I took all the conditions, simply come to me, repent and turn to me, and accept me alone as your Lord, King, God, and Savior. I am at all, I'm offering myself all to you, and all that you need is found in me. Come to me. In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye, that decision, that moment in your soul as you wrestle it out with Christ, that moment where he breathes life into you, you are translated from the kingdom of this world that it was just shakable, that it was just passing away to the kingdom of his dear son and you are grafted as a branch into the true vine. he says, branches that do bear fruit. Those of you here, you are a Christian. He says, branches that bear fruit at the wisdom and the discretion of the vine dresser, they're pruned. Because God's greatest goal is not your comfort, but it's your fruitfulness. And that's a great joy to us as believers because our deepest longing whenever we're born again by the Spirit of God is that we would be fruitful in order to glorify God. What could he be doing, believer, right now in your life in order to bring you to greater fruitfulness? What could he be pruning in your life? What could he be cutting away from you that has felt so much, maybe it's felt like so much like a, a, such a core part of who you are, you can't picture your life without it. It might be that pet sin, it might be that acceptable behavior by everybody else, but you know it dishonors and displeases the Lord. It might be some sort of form of entertainment, it might be uh, a certain career path or the place of, of, that you've placed money in your life, and maybe you hear him speaking something that feels impossible, like he spoke to the rich young ruler and says, sell all that you have and come follow me. That's pruning. No one's ever given up anything that Christ called him to give up. Who truly gave it up, who felt on the other end like they missed it. The testimony of every believer throughout all of history has been, I don't regret giving it up at all. Are you abiding in Christ? Is Christ abiding in you? means are you in conscious dependence upon him? You know what's beautiful about this? We'll get into it next week. You know what's beautiful about this picture? Is that Jesus isn't saying, I've called you to live a fruitful life. Now go do it. Try your best. And hopefully it'll please me. He says, no. How do we, how do we bear fruit? Simply abide in me. Why would we abide in him? We abide in him because we're consciously aware of our absolute dependence upon him. And he says when we're there abiding in him, we receive sweet communion. We're going to talk about that next week as well. Sweet communion with him. We live in a constant state of submission to him because the vine can't decide what the vine dresser is going to do. and conscious obedience to him. Are you in the vine this morning? Believer, have you, have we accepted lives that are fruitless or very little fruit?
What's the call? Just abide in him. Acknowledge your dependence upon him. Seek communion with him. We're going to talk about it next week. Submit to him and ask for his help to obey him. And if we do, then beautifully, not without work, because it requires work on our part, but without straining, we begin to bear fruit that looks and tastes like the nature and character of God and gives him glory. That promise is open for every single believer. It's the expectation of every single believer. And it's his call upon us as his church. Let's follow him in that, guys. Let's acknowledge our absolute dependence upon him. I think that's where it starts for a lot of us. As, as American Christians, we are so dang self-confident and independent. We lean away from weakness rather than leaning into weakness. That's the beauty of the cross. And we come to him in our sin, we come to him in our weakness, and we get in exchange at the cross his strength for our weakness, his righteousness for our sin. So maybe a, a good movement for you this morning, maybe the Lord's calling you to, you need to work something out where you are, maybe you need to come pray, wherever the Lord's calling you to do, but maybe, maybe a step for you this morning as a believer as you come forward to take the the bread and the juice and say, I'm taking this bread and this juice, the broken body of Christ for me, the shed blood of Christ for me, his body broken for me, his, son shed, his, his blood shed for my forgiveness and remission of my sins. I'm taking this as a sign of my dependence. Without you, I'm nothing. But with you, I'm fully accepted and loved and cared for and grafted in and given his, your spirit and your power to fulfill your commands and your call in my life to bear fruit that glorifies the Father. I'm going to pray and we're going to open up two stations as we uh, continue in worship. There'll be one on each side as you see fit. After they uh, get set, you can come forward. You'll receive the bread and the juice. Take it back to your seat and then one of our elders will come up and lead us in communion afterwards. Now, Father, we thank you How can we thank you enough that your call wasn't just go lead a better life? Your call wasn't, hey, you guys have made your bed in this kingdom that is shakable. I hope you enjoy it. But you look with love and compassion and provided a salvation where you place your heart and your life your spirit within us, where you do the work of, sa of salvation taking upon our sin. And simply by abiding in you, you live your life. You pour out your love in us and through us. So the Father will be glorified. Lord, do that in us, I pray.